0: The developer shouldn't just be the guy in charge of the spreadsheet, he should be the entrepreneur. He should be the the guy trying to figure out ways to make the bottom line stronger, to actually make the product more compelling, to actually increase the margin. You know, we talk often about this idea of 20% margin, uh, yet some developers will be 15 and some will even accept 10. But why the hell shouldn't we be comfortable accepting 30 on a regular basis? It's absolutely achievable. <laughs> You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and I've been making some great progress on my projects and the podcast too. I have some great conversations coming up with some really interesting people, and I can't wait to bring them to you. I'm incredibly excited to bring you my next episode, which I think leads on perfectly from my discussion with Andy Hoyne, which we will wrap up in this show, and it is with my main life mentor, and we talk about how you can become a billionaire property developer. If that sounds interesting to you, then tune in, as I think you will be inspired by what we cover. It certainly got me fired up. Anyway, that will be the next episode of the show, so keep your ears out for that one. Before we get to part two of my chat with Andy Hoyne, here is what I've been up to. We have finalised the preliminary town planning drawings and landscape plan for my new project and have submitted these to Council for their review. I'm pleased with how it all came together, though it did take a fair bit of work with the architect to end up with a result I was happy with. So now we wait and see what Council thinks. On my other project, we have a meeting with Council this week to go over the further information letter they sent us, outlining the concerns they have. As always, these meetings are quite illuminating and the start of hopefully meaningful discussions on how to achieve an outcome that everybody can live with. I've also been working on some new content on the Property Developer Podcast website by adding a page with some details about the Property Developing Mentoring Program run by past guest Troy Harris. I have created a new page called Learn, which contains a shorter conversation that I had with Troy about the program and what people can expect from it. If you are interested in learning how to develop or know someone that is, check out www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com forward slash learn and take a listen to the discussion Troy and I have. Or you can always email me, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com and I can send you some details about the mentoring program. And finally, before we get to part two of Andy's interview, I am considering taking on a sponsor for the show. So if you know of a business or organization that might be interested in supporting the podcast, then please drop me an email and let me know. You can get me on justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com. Okay, on with the show. Part two of my conversation with property development thought leader, Andy Hoyne. Andy is the founding principal of Hoyne we are heavily involved with helping some well-known property companies market and strategically position their development projects to stand out from the crowd. Andy has been working in and around the property sector for the last 25 years. In part one of the interview, we covered the importance of having a point of difference, how you can mitigate risk through innovation, and the must-do marketing activities for developers on a budget. So if you missed that, then go back to episode 47 and take a listen. In part two, we will cover how to grow your development business and create a company that stands out. Now, I mentioned in the last episode that you would have a chance to win Andy's beautiful book, The Place Economy, that showcases great projects, developments, and case studies from around the world, valued at $200. bucks. is a gorgeous book, chock full of ideas and inspiration for any developer, and Andy will mention during the interview how you can get your hands on it for free. So keep your ears peeled for that. So let's finish off the conversation with Andy about how you can get 200 people lining up to buy your product and pick up from where I was asking Andy what challenges he faces in his role helping developers with their projects. So what are the challenges you face then as a marketer? Do you call yourself a marketer?
0: Uh, oh, I've never described myself as that. Um, but mind you, I, you know, because we do tend to talk about place visioning, branding and marketing um, with different clients, there are different needs. So uh, I think the barbecue conversation, uh, when you meet someone who doesn't have a clue what you do, I'd probably just say, I work in branding and marketing, you know, just to stop oh, so that's not nice and clear? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look, I, I think that when, you know, your job is actually to sort of create ideas to sort of compel people to do something, uh, traditionally people think it's advertising. Um, but for let me... Let me
1: reframe the question then. Yeah. In your role... It, for the organisation? What are the challenges that you guys face?
0: Um, I think it's about getting people to change their mindset from traditional development thinking to progressive development thinking. And it's the thing that we talked about, you know, 10 minutes ago about that we both thought was common sense. The idea that, no, no, that's not the way we do things and the spreadsheet drives all decisions. Um, I have this little presentation that I've given a few times and the last page of it says... You know, the developer shouldn't just be the guy in charge of the spreadsheet. He should be the entrepreneur. He should be the uh, the guy trying to figure out ways to make the bottom line stronger, to actually make the product more compelling, to actually increase the margin. You know, we talk often about this idea of twenty percent margin. Uh, Yet, some developers will be fifteen, and some will even accept ten. But why the hell shouldn't we be comfortable accepting 30 on a regular basis? It's absolutely achievable. I've been involved in a heap of projects that have achieved that and more. Um, It's just that there's this assumption that maybe there's risk involved. And, you know, there's just this big fear of what people perceive risk to be. Interestingly, I think on the point of fear and risk, it's something that actually kind of inspires me. And I, I read once that the source of all profit in business is risk. And I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. But also, you know, along the same lines, this notion that opportunity and risk come in pairs. So you can't really have one without the other if you're really trying to do something of meaning. So it's interesting because when I think about my own business, I, I really embrace risk. Um, and, you know, even by the fact that it's associated with, you know, a real sort of situational commercial business fear, Um And it's interesting because I do a lot of reading and it's funny because it just comes up constantly. I think it's one of the most consistent topics in all the books that I read in terms of it being associated with the most successful firms that exist today. Um, And for me, I think about that in the context of long-term growth, you know, training staff, adding additional services, developing rigid processes, which take a lot of time, and even trying to create the time to invest in IP that is yours. And all those things... In isolation, don't really sound like risk, but let's be honest, they all take a huge amount of time, cost, resource, when you could just be out there doing the job that you thought you were supposed to be doing. So it's risk to actually take time and resources away and effort away to focus on other parts of your business that actually won't deliver a positive outcome for maybe years, maybe many years but ultimately in doing that you're actually creating a stronger enterprise you're creating the ability to differentiate yourself and you're also constructing something around you which is the opposite of risk you're creating a framework that actually protects you from the attack of comp- competition
1: yeah i remember talking to a developer who does really nice uh, apartment projects here in melbourne and he didn't describe it he doesn't describe profit as profit margin he says that's the risk margin, yeah. I, I call that risk margin. Yeah, it's been earned. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, it's funny, There's, a, I, I speak to a lot of students, uh, a lot of design industry and a lot of the property industry, I'm always speaking at conferences and things and I do have a tendency to fall back on this topic just because I really like it and, um, you know, for me it's about planning and there was a great quote by Tim Fargo who says, who you are tomorrow begins with what you do today. And so, again, it's just about being really clear about planning up front. Um, And then one of my favourite quotes that I always love throwing at um, at students is, if you want a guarantee, buy a toaster. Thanks, Clint Eastwood.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What about if a developer has started the design phase of the project or has got their permit and they're listening to this podcast and they think, oh, this sounds really good, but I'm already halfway through the project. Is there anything they can do now? Or are they sort of stuck in there?
0: So the worst kind off? of projects are the ones that are finished. And I have lots of developers come to me and say, we really need your help. And then I discover it's built. And I'm like, wow, well, all you're going to do is throw a lot more money at that. And that's going to be a pain because your margin's about to get killed. Um, so those are the projects that I've, I, I'm scared of just because... Yes, I believe I can fix them, but at what cost? Um, Projects that are halfway through, um, well, it depends what halfway through means. I mean, if you're halfway through building it uh, and you've already marketed it, I probably can't help. But if you've already kind of had it designed, uh, you're ready to go to market and you're right at that point, well, for me, that's not halfway through because you haven't actually gone to market. And until you've gone to market, you haven't pulled the trigger. So at that point, there is still the ability to assess, review, uh, make. There could be simple material changes. There could be aesthetic changes. And if those changes are far greater that actually require going back to council, which none of us want ever want to do, um, we really have to assess on how big the risk is currently and how big the opportunity or the upside is in potentially making those changes. So I think that's really just a business discussion.
1: And failed to mention this earlier on, but I believe you're going through your own council uh, (laughs) approvals hell at the moment for a project in Sydney, is that right?
0: Yeah, um, I've, you know, it's interesting because I I try and keep my relationships really positive and strong with pretty much everybody because I have this this belief that there is nothing more important in in life than relationships. And even when those relationships with councils, and we actually have about, Fifteen councils as clients around Australia, so good, good relationships with councils. Uh, there are obviously pros and cons to some of the uh, the people in certain councils, but uh, yeah, I do have an issue with the City of Sydney that just as um, nice as we're being and as accommodating as we're being, and I think as as great as what it is that we're proposing, I'm definitely getting a lot of pushback, and um, I'm remaining optimistic. Although I seem to have probably wasted a lot of time and a lot of money, um, yeah. I, the upside is worth it. So I think we're ideally about to get an outcome on that and we can progress forward. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, the reality is that it's easy to be a consultant who just gives advice and walks away but uh, that's really not the approach that I take and I, I really love being involved with my clients on as many levels as possible to be a part of the team. So I have no qualms about when a small client says, oh, do you want to chuck a couple of bucks into this? Um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I I, don't just want to be the consultant, you know, and I'm happy to sort of be a risk taper, taker because for me, if you actually really believe in the project, all you can really see is upside. You know, that risk just dissipates when you know that what it is you're taking to market has an incredibly strong audience, a strong amount of consumer desire um, and that you have the ability to achieve a greater upside uh, because, of maybe what's happening with the market, even when it's weak, or uh, maybe because there's just not many competitors around, or maybe because you're doing something so different that uh, people are going to line up to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, well, doing something different, I think, does scare people, particularly developers who are somewhat risk averse, despite undertaking what could be considered a risky project or risky business. And so then doing something different is quite challenging for people to, it can be able be. to do it. I think uh, what, but people interpret difficult,
0: you know, and, and risk differently. For example, uh, something that comes up a lot is uh, we might look at a project and the client might say, oh, look, don't worry, we're going to knock down all those buildings. And we say, no, well, they may not be under a heritage covenant, but actually we should keep bits of those because there's great storytelling to be done around those and they could actually be really interesting part of the, the fabric and the end uh, delivery So for us, you know, we've gone through that a number of times. We've convinced developers not to knock everything down. Ultimately, it's actually saved them money, which wasn't anticipated, and it wasn't the reason we suggested it. But more importantly, it's meant that the end solution is different because it has a heritage component, because it's more unique, because it kind of has a story to tell. And it's in the storytelling, uh, particularly for larger projects, that you're able to engage media, that you're able to sort of uh, go out to market and find ways to distinctly talk about what makes this project uh, unique.
1: I'm a big believer in this idea of storytelling, and it it means different things to different people. Mm. So what's your idea around storytelling when you say, oh, there's a good story to tell? How do you go about structuring the story or how do you integrate that into execution or marketing components rather than this nebulous idea of we're going to tell a story yeah look
0: i mean stories are about stirring the emotions in people and so they always must and should always be based on truth it's not about manufacturing a story or creating some bullshit because everybody sees through that Uh, And this whole idea of marketing spin is just a bit of a joke, really, uh, because it assumes people are stupid and they're not stupid, and especially not stupid when they're spending the most amount of money they've ever spent on the most important purchase of their lives. So if you're going to tell a story, then actually dig deep. Is there something really interesting about the history of the people who lived there, of what occurred in the past? History is a great basis of which to tell stories from. But where nothing existed, where you might be sitting on a greenfield and there's just nothing there, then tell a story about what it is you're going to create and how you're going to deliver it and why it will be compelling and how it will add value to people's lives. And it can't be just some generic thing that sort of says that, you know, live, work and play and there'll be a shop down the road and your kids can ride their bikes. It needs to be based on the fact that what it is that you're going to create is different from what's up the road and actually will add values to their lives because of the extra work that you've done to ensure that this is going to be special. So there's, there are dozens of different ways you can do that, um, and I think it really is, and it goes back to this idea of place visioning. It goes back to the idea of at the very beginning, you know what it is that you're going to create is going to get people to sit up and pay attention
1: because the reality
0: is people have a lot of choice, so, if you want to stand out, you need to actually stand out by having something special to say about a product that you're going to deliver that's like nobody else's.
1: And I know that you've done a book around place visioning. Can you tell us about that.
0: So, the book that uh, the last book. This is about my 16th book, but uh, my first book on what people would call placemaking is called the Place Economy, and. Um, The kind of subtitle is The Real World Social and Economic Benefits of Effective Placemaking. And for me, this was really about collating case studies globally on what it takes to create a special place of purpose and meaning, why people would care, why they would come, and in many instances, why they would spend a lot of money to be a part of it, whether as as buyers, as tenants, as shoppers. And so with that book, I wanted half the content to be from within Australia and half the content to be global. So of about the 50 different stories that we tell in this 410-page book, um, we speak to developers, people in government, architects, uh, town planners. Uh, Some of the projects are ones that we've worked on ourselves and some we've had nothing to do with. But what we have done is we've gathered world-leading insights, we've gathered some of the most famous people in our sector uh, to come together and share their opinions uh, in the hope that people in government, development and private enterprise uh, listen and learn and actually apply some of these thoughts to ensure that the development we're creating in the future is far better than anything
1: we've created in the past. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful book. You've given me a copy, which I've had a look through, and uh, yeah, there's some awesome ideas in there. And I'm going to put you on the spot now and uh, suggest that we have a competition uh, <laughs> Give away a copy of uh, your book to the person that sends in the what you consider to be the most interesting question or a you, you question know what I, that you enjoy um, being asked. I'd, I'm glad you brought that
0: up because um, interestingly, I, as I say, I speak at a lot of conferences and events and I love tough questions. I often, uh, in fact, I was at Penrith yesterday and I, I said, whoever asks me the toughest question gets a book. Um, so, you know, I want to be made to think, you know, I don't want to just roll out the same old diatribe for me, the compelling thing about having conversations is to actually learn more deeply about the ideas and things that I believe in. So what I'd suggest for your competition, um, is slightly different to that because the thing that I'm constantly spending time doing, that I just don't have enough hours a day is finding amazing case studies. So send me a case study of an incredible development anywhere in the world something that you believe has affected the community in a really positive way. The community has celebrated and that it has actually created a higher profit margin than otherwise would have been acceptable or uh, people would have assumed was possible. So I want something that's created an incredible community benefit that's actually also uh, created a fantastic economic uplift, both for the developer or asset owner, as well as the community surrounding it. I don't care whether it's residential, mixed-use, commercial, anything. Uh, that's what I'm most interested in discovering around the world.
1: Perfect. Well, if listeners have that idea or they've got a project or a case study, you can send it through to me, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com. I'll collate them and forward them onto Andy, and in a future episode, we'll Excellent. announce who the lucky winner is. Excellent. All right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit now. What do you reckon the best piece of advice is that you've ever been given?
0: It's funny. Um, I think my response to that is probably the same as everyone listening today is going to say. Maybe it's not the best, but it's one that they've all been given. And that's my dad said when I was a kid, don't lie. And I'm like, okay, well, that's the same sort of thing you'd hear from everybody. It's that old proverb, if you tell the truth, you never have to remember anything you said. But <clears throat> I really love Uh, a quote from Winston Churchill who said, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. So lies have a tendency to travel very quickly and create havoc and and mayhem. Um, And I think for me, I have uh, a tendency just to sort of go, I've just got to tell it like it is. And my wife actually jokes that perhaps I shouldn't. Perhaps my honesty is something I should keep to myself sometimes. Do I look fat in this? Um, well, in all fairness, my wife never looks fat. She's gorgeous. <laughs> but it's, it's funny because, um, she does often say, well, wow, the truth is going to kill you. But, um, you know, I, you know, while well, you don't want to upset someone, you don't want to say that, you know, someone looks fat and something. I do try on those occasions, the best policy is just to say nothing. Um, but, in general, I think I've also got a belief that you give bad news quickly. If there's bad news coming, I want to know it now. I don't want it to be delayed. I just want to know it now. And then I can deal with it. I can respond to it. I can act on it. And I can ideally, where possible, try and fix it. Um, the other sort of great advice that I would think of, which unfortunately I don't know if I've done a great job of executing, but it's in my mind all the time, and that is to hire slowly and fire quickly. Um, it's great advice. It, it but it's really hard to, uh, to deliver on. And I think the final thing I'd say is that I always think about the four Cs. The four Cs are something that, you know, sticks in my mind a lot. And they're commitment, courage, capabilities and confidence. I mean, they're just as four pillars, as four pillars that, you know, if you're actually thinking about those four pillars, it will always drive you to do great things. And, you know, you, you should never sort of look back and say, I've taken the wrong path. Because even when you make mistakes, which we all make, there's nothing wrong with making mistakes as long as you don't make the same ones repeatedly. But so long as you've at least tried to sort of have that commitment or courage and the confidence and understand what your true capability is, even if you're trying to stretch yourself, which you should, then you should never sort of uh, admonish yourself.
1: What do you reckon you've learned about yourself along the way?
0: Um, interestingly, I was having a think about this and. Uh, it's a bit contradictory because the first thing I thought of was how important it is to listen. Yet here I am talking on and on and on. So I do have a tendency to over talk things, but
1: That's all right. I'm listening.
0: I I think that it's incredibly important to just stop talking a lot of the time and actually just listen. And I do try very hard to do that, although a lot of people who know me well would probably get a laugh that that's true. Um, I do believe that I tell it like I see it, and I think everybody I know would agree with that. I'm constantly aspiring to be better um, just because I like challenging myself and I want to find a a way to kind of just do things that fulfill me. Um, And one of the things that I've said since I started my business 27 years ago is hire people who are better than you. And I've always been very good at that. I've always, you know, been proud of the fact that I bring amazing people into my team. And when I'm working with clients when they're not working with me directly and they might get a bit miffed for a moment that the hoind is not working on their project, they actually say to me a few weeks later, we didn't really notice that you weren't involved because the team you've got on this are just off the charts. They're super clever. Um, You know, it's incredible. So you really couldn't build a great business without that. You know, I couldn't get to a team of 70-something people if I didn't hire uh, best of class. Uh,
1: What do you reckon is the toughest business decision you've had to make?
0: Ah, oh, wow, God, um, it's a hard one to answer when your life's good and things are going well. But I'd say that um, going back to the toughest year I've had in business would have been two thousand six. And it's funny because I think most people I know in the world were doing really well in two thousand six. But I'd moved from Melbourne to open an office in Sydney with virtually no staff. All my clients in Melbourne, all my staff in Melbourne traveling back and forward once or twice a week, every week, probably for about two years. I think the toughest decision was almost an admission, an admission that I'd really stuffed it up and that I'd made a lot of mistakes in that process. Um, But I persevered. Um, It was incredibly painful. I lost a huge amount of money. Um, But I eventually got there. I kind of turned the corner. I think probably the biggest skill I have in life is perseverance and so it was worth it, but it, it was incredibly uh, painful, probably two or three
1: years. I think it was Woody Allen that said that 99% of his success was he just kept turning up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty true, actually. And so then leading on to that, if you could go back in time and talk to a uh, young Andy, what time would it be or what age would it be and what would you say to him? Um,
0: it's a tough question for me, actually, because... I really uh, am generally not inclined to look over my shoulder. I don't look back, you know, I don't think about what could have been. Um, It's just not really the way that I operate. But I would say that if I had to go back and think about changing the future, I'd probably really have loved to have discovered my passion for place and property in my 20s. You know, when I first started my business, I was working in fashion, I was doing a lot in retail, I ended up doing some stuff in banking, I did a lot in alcohol. And so I think looking back, I'd probably go, bloody hell, if I would really understood and gotten focused in place and property in my 20s, without sounding like a wanker, I would probably be on the global stage right now because, you know, I know that I test the water with two feet, two hands and a head. Um, you know, I, I tend to really jump into things very deeply. I want deep knowledge. And so with the kind of enthusiasm and love that I have for the industry that I'm in, I think if I had have actually focused on thought leadership in this category, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years sooner, I would probably be at a different stage in my career right now. Not that I'm uh, complaining. In fact, I couldn't be happier really.
1: Tell me why you think was place and property that piqued your deep interest or... Really got you going?
0: That is a great question because it's something that my wife and I talk about a lot. Um, she is really excited about where I am at in my life because when I was in my 20s, I worked uh, pro bono for a lot of charities. I was in the board of directors of a number of organizations. We even ran the big issue for my office for a period of time. Um, it was full on, it was like I had a second full time job. And I was really interested in making a contribution to my community. Um, I don't get me wrong, I wanted to have an incredible design business, I wanted to make as much money as I could, but I also wanted to ensure that the things that I was doing were going to have a positive impact. And I didn't really necessarily see that through the work I was doing for clients, that could be achieved. But now, you know, all these years later, and with the work that we're doing, um, you know, my wife always laughs at, wow, you've actually found the most amazing sweet spot, uh, you know, you're working to create incredible communities. You're actually creating a great commercial business that's profitable, that employs over 70 people, but you're almost doing charitable work as a commercial endeavour. You're constantly working with local communities all over Australia to find out. What is it we can do to make those communities stronger? How can we make people more engaged? And the work that we do doesn't just stop at place and property. You know, when we're talking to local government, we're really focused on what is it we can do to create jobs? How can we deal with, with, you know, youth drug addiction? Uh, Where are the issues with suicide in rural areas? Um, What is it we can actually do to impact the way the government thinks about infrastructure and amenity? Um, So there are just so many other issues that emanate from the idea of place and property. And whilst, you know, from a commercial point of view, I want to make my clients as much money as possible, from a community point of view, I want to be proud of everything we leave behind, not just for a year or two, but forever.
1: And before you said if you'd gone back in time and spoken to the younger you, you would have got started earlier in property and you would have been somewhere on the global stage. So if I could click my fingers now and say, Andy, you can do anything you want without fear of failing, Mm. what would would you be doing?
0: You know, I'd probably move to New York, not forever and not for long, but um, I think when you start your own business at the age of 23 and you're still in that business 27 years later, in a funny way, you've trapped yourself. Now, I mean, I've had many, many opportunities to sell my business and I've not done that because I didn't want to. And I really enjoy working in my business. But the idea of maybe going to New York for a few years with my wife and kids and just being a part of some enormous city and being involved in iconic and landmark projects that the entire world acknowledges, I think, would feed my ego but would also feed my ability to want to be involved in game-changing things that actually become the global case studies and benchmarks for the rest of the world.
1: And that leads me to ask, what inspires you and where do you get your inspiration from?
0: Um, Look, it's probably going to sound like a really stupid, uh, daggy answer, but I'm really inspired by the people around me. I was catching up with an old friend early in the week And she was asking me about all the different mutual friends we have. And I was like, oh, he's doing amazing things. She's doing amazing things. And I was just rattling off all the great things these people were doing that had been friends of ours for the last 30 years. And I was amazed by the fact that I just managed to surround myself with all these game changers, with all these category leaders, with people, some of which are quite famous uh, in this day and age, um, because... They've all been so courageous. They've been so passionate about the, the things that they've chosen to focus their careers on. And, you know, they've written books. They've made movies. They've, they've, you know, built incredible things. And so I think that I'm probably inspired most of all by my friends and by the people I choose to be around. Um, and I think I don't make those choices loosely. Uh, I think I'm very conscious about wanting to be around optimistic people Uh, My wife and I even say that we won't hang out with couples who don't get along because, you know, it's just a bad vibe. You know, we want to be around people who are loving to each other, who are nice, who are courteous, uh, who value the things that we value. And so, you know, as simplistic as it sounds, I think that's the thing that inspires me the most.
1: Yeah, I often say on this show around surrounding yourself with good people and inspiring people. And in this day and age, that doesn't mean sitting across the table from them. Mm. I mean, you can be reading their books or you can be following their blogs or mm. subscribe to their YouTube channel. I mean, you can be one step away from global icons these days with, <laughs> yeah, uh, if amazing, with the internet it? and social media channels.
0: Well, our book is proof of that. You know, I go to meetings and people go, oh, you know, have you ever heard of Jan Gal? Like, yeah, yeah, we interviewed with the book. Oh, have you ever heard of Alain de Baton? A amazing, amazing human being. Yeah, we do probably want to work for him and, yes, he's in our book. You know, and just, you know, oh, the guy who's the most famous person speaking about walkability, oh, yeah, Jeff Speck, you know him, he, he's in our book. And, you know, in our new book, which comes out later in the year, it's even more compelling than the existing one because... Whilst I'm an optimistic, maybe there's a pessimistic part of me that believes that people think sequels suck. And so I need to make sure that my sequel, Volume 2 of The Place Economy, uh, exceeds all expectations uh, and that people really believe that it's, it's taught them something, it's provided insight. And because uh, all the money that I raised from the sale of this book, Builds Houses for Habitat for Humanity, um, I want to make sure that it's not just a book that actually assists people in knowledge but the money that's actually raised from it builds a shitload more houses.
1: And so Andy Hoyne decides to throw an awesome dinner party and he gets to invite three people, alive or dead. Who would they be and why?
0: Um, well, that's, that is also a tough question. And whilst I've heard it asked to, uh, to people in interviews in the past, I've always struggled to think what my answer might be. And... It's funny because the answers are always celebrities and sometimes I think it feels a bit cliche, but I mean, I understand why, but the thing is that I, I would say if I, and in all honesty, in my heart of hearts, if I could choose someone to be at dinner with me today, it would be my nana, Rita O'Brien. I mean, apart from the fact that we all love our relatives and our nanas, who doesn't love their nana or their grandma, but mine was always um, one of the most special people to me and she... Uh, it's the anniversary of her passing uh, right now. So she passed away 10 years ago. Um, So she's on my mind a lot at at the moment. But I think what I should do is actually answer the question in the way that you probably uh, anticipated. Let's pick some things up. I don't want you to answer it the way I
1: anticipate I want you to answer it the way you feel. Who who, who would you love to have there?
0: Well, I thought I'd also think about uh, names that people can associate with and contextualise. And I thought, well, how would I actually create a criteria for that? And um, maybe you're overthinking it. I overthink everything. <laughs> yeah, that's my problem. So I'd say that I want—I'd want someone who's people who are funny, smart, and even one who is sexy. And um, that's a,
1: that, that's a good criteria. Yeah, I could
0: be happy with those. I was kind of thinking about because I, I often refer to really interesting quotes that I think are great simplifications of a big idea that really resonate with people and they're a really simple way to get people on on the same page. And I've always thought that two the two people, historical people who do the best quotes, just an un, unending list of quotes is both Winston Churchill and Mark Twain.
1: Oh I thought you were gonna say anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd of that. love to meet that person. Um, I Mark Twain is this, this guy who just seemed to pop
0: up in every moment of history. And he just, I hear he would probably have the most incredible stories
1: to tell. But um, He had a great quote that the coldest uh, summer, he, you know, the coldest winter he ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. <laughs> I was in San Francisco last year in summer and... When the fog rolls in in the afternoon, it's absolutely freezing. Oh, it
0: is freezing. I felt that too. Um, you know, I, but I've having been asked this question before. The only person I've ever consistently mentioned, you know, when you have that dinner party conversation, is Sir David Attenborough. And I was thought, is he the new Mark Twain? Um, I mean, I just think he's such an incredible human being. He's ninety-two years old now. I just love his curiosity and the fact that he just dares to go where others will not. I love the fact that as recently as eight years ago, there were still documentaries of him swimming underwater, like, you know, grabbing beasts out of holes and and gurgling away, talking about them underwater. And I mean, the guy's incredible. I mean, if anyone could do 10% of what he's accomplished, I think you would have had a good life. Um, I I mentioned Winston Churchill before because he does have so many good quotes, anecdotes, stories. He's so bloody witty. Um, You know, he's just said so many outrageous and cantankerous things. And some of the quotes that come to mind when I think about him is that we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And another thing I think that relates to this industry that we're in is that we shape our buildings. Thereafter, they shape us. And then finally, you have you have enemies, good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. So I think this idea of trying to please all the people all the time is a complete furphy. Uh, I think we do need to be strong in our convictions, knowing that it will probably upset somebody. Not that that's the intention. The intention is to be strong in your
1: convictions. Well, you need to understand that when you're a developer that you're both builder and destroyer.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And it's funny, I, I was also thinking that God, I didn't think of anyone sexy, uh, and I thought, well, sure, maybe should I be controversial? But hey, that's not that kind of podcast, right? But <laughs> and then he asked, Fuck, who do I? Who's funny, smart, and sexy? And I, I, actually, it's my wife. But I have dinner with her all the time,
1: so maybe she's not part of this category. <laughs> Oh, you get the big brownie points of your wife's listening to the show. Uh, I doubt
0: she'll ever listen to this, but, uh, but it is true.
1: <laughs> there you go. It's on the record now. Yeah. It'll be there forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's your final top tip for developers out there looking to take their developing business to the next level?
0: Look, for me, it's really about figuring out why people would want to follow you. Why would they care about your brand or your business? You know, what are you delivering that's unique and provides real value? And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about getting caught up in branding, but you do need to understand why people should understand what your purpose is. Now, this applies to any business, but it definitely applies to development. I mean, ideally, you know, you want to be able to deliver something that's better than anybody else. And it doesn't, you know, it's not about we do the biggest buildings or the best developments or the sexiest. It could be an idiosyncrasy. It doesn't have to be this overarching, monstrous thing. And it's also about the way that you do business, the way that you deal with people. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the built form. It could be your culture. It could be the way that you operate. But what's that thing that you can talk about that will resonate with people that they go, yeah, I get that. that. That seems true and it seems meaningful and it seems like it would either add value to me as a purchaser or it would actually add value to the community, even if I'm not part of that. So I think it's really about having a point of difference and not just for the sake of being different, but actually for the sake of truly representing how you want to be seen as a business.
1: Very nice. All right. Well, if people want to find out more about you or more about Hoyne or they're basically two in the same. <laughs> no,
0: I'm, I a, I'm an employee. I mean, it's funny. I, I mean... You know, I might be the head of the business, but I'm one of 70 people. There's 70 other very smart people. Um, so I think that's the, the truism of any good business. Just the bad news is that my surname and the company name are the same thing, but I like the coincidences to kind of end there because, yeah, it's about a business, not one human. And well, where can people find out more about
1: the business then?
0: Uh, look, just our website, hoin.com.au. Uh, Very simple. We're in all the sort of standard social media tags, which I forget what they are. Um, But, yeah, just go to our website, you'll get a good good understanding of the kind of breadth of projects we work on and and our philosophy and what we do and the manifesto of what it is that um, we believe in the way we treat our staff and the culture that we create, Uh, and we think that's incredibly important. Uh, We're hoping this year that we will be named one of the best places to work in Australia. We were shortlisted last year. Um, So for me, that's a really important part of um, of both culture, differentiating yourself and having a business with meaning.
1: And that's That's H-O-Y-N-E.com.au. Andy Hoyne from Hoyne, thanks for being on the Property Developer Podcast. It's been great speaking with you about development. Thanks very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, there you go, another great discussion about how you can take your developing to the next level. I really enjoyed that chat with Andy and would love to continue the conversation with him one day soon. If you have any case studies that you want to send through to me to go in the running to win a copy of Andy's beautiful Place Economy book valued at $200, then send them to justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com and I'll send them on to Andy for his review and to select a winner. So here are three lessons I took away from my chat with Andy. One, property developers will benefit if they keep growing. I enjoyed how Andy said investing in your organization or yourself is a great way to combat risk. By having effective processes, new services and new ways of thinking, you can actually help mitigate or eliminate risks. Continuing to grow, personally and commercially, will keep your mind fresh, your business growing and help to maintain your drive and inspiration. As Andy mentioned, the source of all profit is risk, so if you can reduce your risk, then you can potentially boost your margins. So what things are you doing in the next 12 months to grow your brain and stay inspired? 2. Hire people who are better than you. I regularly hear how great businesses are built by people who recognise that they need talented people around them. For some people, this is a challenge because they want to be the smartest person in the room or the one calling all the shots. But if you are prepared to surround yourself with bright, talented people who are best in class and manage them well, you can really take your business to stratospheric levels. And don't forget Andy's tip to hire slow and fire quickly. Three, build a business that people want to follow. If you would love to build a business that has loyal followers, then give some serious thought to your purpose and how you provide value. We will be covering more of this in the next episode about becoming a billionaire property developer. In the meantime, here's a few questions that Andy threw up. How can you be different in a way that makes people want to associate with you or connect with you? How can you deliver something that is better than anyone else? How are you going to deal with people? How can you come up with ideas and projects that resonate with people and offer meaning? How are you going to operate or do business? These are interesting questions to consider and may take some effort to answer, but give them some thought and start to think about what you are going to do to make your developing business stand out. And imagine what it would be like to have 200 people lining up to buy your product because they love what you do. I think that sounds pretty exciting. All right, if you enjoyed that discussion around property marketing and strategic positioning, then you may want to go back and listen to episode 32, where I speak with selling agent Campbell Cooney. Campbell has had a long career in real estate and offered some great insights into why he was having trouble selling off the plan properties early in his career.
0: Early on, I used to have all the information and then you'd uh, buy an acquire and I'd send them all the information and I, wonder, I was wondering why it didn't work because surely I was being efficient. Surely I was giving more than other people were, which I was. But you're giving it all, and I wasn't selling I'm
1: not coming in. Campbell shared lots of gold during that conversation, so jump into the archive and check out episode 32. Don't forget that if you are interested in learning how to develop, then email me, Justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com, and I can send you some information about the program. Or head over to www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com forward slash learn, and listen to my chat about the mentoring program. And check out my Instagram and Facebook pages for my latest developing videos, photos, and news at Property Developer Podcast. You can also find all the past episodes of the show at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. So until next time... May you always have 200 people lining up to buy your next offering.
0: You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.